0: Hello friends, this is Pastor Anthony L. Fletcher from Redeemed Ministries. I would like to invite you to listen to our podcast. It is a Christian-based podcast designed to bridge the Word of God to modern-day culture to show its relevance and its permanence throughout all generations. Why don't you listen and enjoy? Be blessed. Hello and welcome You know, when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, more times than not, he is misunderstood. We look at him to save, heal, or deliver us from sickness, disease, or the unpleasant situations of life. When in fact, his purpose is to redeem mankind, preparing a way to supernaturally deliver persons that place their trust in him. Hi, I'm Pastor Anthony L. Fletcher, Sr., of the Redeemed Ministries Bible Church in Kansas City. Today, I want to talk about The Proper Perspective of Jesus, Part 2. Last week, during Palm Sunday and Holy Week, I shared in my last podcast The Proper Perspective of Jesus during the time as He was traveling to Jerusalem with His disciples, preparing to celebrate One of the three festive days that the Jews was required uh, to celebrate in Jerusalem. Now is that week and it's leading up to a week later, which is the time that Jesus Christ was crucified. You know, there was a preparation for the Passover as Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Jerusalem in parade like fashion. While many were excited, get this, they were cutting, waving, and placing palm branches along the route as they praised Jesus and proclaimed him as the prophet that was prophesied by Isaiah as well as Zechariah. But a lot can happen in a few days. It was one week later that the joyous, excited crowd's uproar became a discontented mob's outcry for murder. They did not have. The proper perspective of Jesus. Jesus did not come to please the people, but he came to please his father. Those people that was uh, celebrating him coming into Jerusalem. Remember last week I talked about him riding on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. They were shouting Hosanna Hosanna, which simply means to save now. Why did they say that? Because at that time, the Jews was under Romans authority. They were thinking Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom there on earth, but Jesus came to establish his kingdom in heaven. So he did not come to please the people, but he came to please his father, who is God. The shouts of save us now, which that's what Hosea means, Hosanna means as he entered into Jerusalem was an earthly kingdom, but the deeds of Jesus is all about God's eternal kingdom. People quickly turned on him just as they will turn on you if they feel that you do not have their best interest at hand. They will also plot against you. They plotted against Jesus. Let's take a look at that. If you care to turn with me or write these verses down, Mark 14 verses 1 and 2, listen to what it says. After two days, the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. One thing I have learned in my life is that enemies will come together against a common enemy. Look at it. Verse 14, it says there were peace and there were scribes. The priests were the high priests, the ones that handled all the duties at the temple. They the ones that took the animal sacrifice and uh, offered the sacrifices in behalf of the people. They led the worship. They came down through Levite bloodline, which when we go back to the old testament and study. Uh, books like Exodus and Leviticus, we will see uh, their priestly duties and only a Levite can be a priest. They were the high priest. This is thousands of years later. And then you have the scribes. The scribes were teachers of the law. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees. They did not get along because the Pharisees did believe in death, burial, and resurrection. Sadducees did not believe that. They didn't believe that a spirit Uh, uh, Can be uh, entered into the body Okay So you have Sadducees You have Pharisees Pharisees also was well versed in the law When I say law I mean the Ten Commandments So they were so well versed And afraid of people breaking the law What they did was They created laws They like built a fence around the law So people would not break the law So in other hand Or in other words, I should say, they build laws around the law so people would not break the law. And the law to them became an idol because they missed who Jesus really is. He was a coming Messiah that was prophesied about again in Isaiah and Zechariah. But they so stirred up in people keeping the law that they missed who Jesus is. So you have Enemies coming together to try to get rid of a common enemy. Jesus certainly made enemies before his final journey to Jerusalem. It was the events of the final week, which resulted in his crucifixion. In fact, Jesus clearing of the temple is a while recognized as the key episode, which provoked the Jewish authorities to act against him. During Holy Week, when Jesus went into the temple, he found merchants there selling goods and especially selling sacrifices that was no good for sacrifice. You know, Jesus or God, I should say, in the Old Testament required our first fruits. That means the best of. He did not want leftovers when it came to sacrifice. So he wanted the first few fruit, those uh, animals without spot and wrinkle. But they were also there selling animals to sacrifice because uh, individuals made long journeys back to Jerusalem. So oftentimes they didn't take bring sacrifices with them. They didn't bring animals with them. They could purchase them there in Jerusalem. But a lot of the animals that was being sold were sickly. They wasn't the best. So they was making money in the incorrect way and they were making money and holding a uh, 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 selling merchandise, I should say inside of the temple. So Jesus got angry and he began, uh, he grabbed a whip and he began to whip people out of his father's house, turning over the tables and everything else. Jesus was mad. It was a righteous indignation. So it shows a Christian a Christian can get mad about uh, the right things. That's why the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. So uh, that event is, is looked at as a final straw for these authorities. So they needed a plot that would turn the people against him. Get this and do it in such a way for them not to look bad. We want to get rid of this Jesus, but we don't want people to to know that we're scheming and we're plotting. Uh, We don't want that because everybody's in an uproar of how good he is, but we need to develop a plan to turn people against him. So look at this. Look at this. Look look at what happened in in, in, in verses 10 and 11. It says, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. Verse 11 And when they heard it they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So now Satan is going to see this situation and he begins to use Judas, one of the disciples, To try to carry out a plan to aid the Jewish authorities in their plot. You have the plot. Now you have the plan. And let me say this. Everybody that go to church. Everybody that's sitting in church and, and say they believe in God. Does not mean that they're saved. Satan, oftentimes, as a Christian, Satan cannot possess us, but Satan can influence us. But when you look at Judah's story, I don't even believe that he was a true follower of God because Satan used him. The Bible says later on we will see that Satan entered him. Okay? So the plot turned into a plan with the aid of one of Jesus's own disciples, everybody, as I say, that go to church is not saved and that you think is close to you, don't have your best interests at hand. You have to be careful. A lot of times that um, when you look at people and, and they disappoint you, and they do evil against you, and you thought they were in your corner. That's why you have to be very careful and very prayerful when it comes to uh, people that surround you. Get this. All that didn't fool Jesus because he knew who Judas was and what he would do when he first met him. He was to be used to carry out the prophecy of the Messiah's death that was prophesied a thousand years before. We see in Mark fourteen eighteen, it says, And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me. In the dish, during that Last Supper, that that uh, uh, we 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 oftentimes we see that painting portrayed as all the disciples sitting on one side of the table, and we know it wasn't like that. But uh, uh, everyone sitting on one side of the table during that time, uh, part of the meal was uh, almost all the time was bread, and and then they had something called sop. And sop is basically like a gravy, a sauce, and they would tear the bread and they would dip it in the sop. So John thirteen twenty seven says, and after the sop, Satan entered into him, talking about Judas, then said Jesus unto him that thou doest do quickly. Now, the disciples was concerned after Jesus said, one of you going to betray me. Everyone is saying, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? But soon as dinner was over. Jesus looks at Judas and says. What thou doest, do quickly, or in other words. Do what you got to do. You need to do it now. He didn't surprise Jesus, didn't shock him because Jesus already know. Okay, Jesus already knew Judas would betray him. He was a part of the plan. Satan entered Judas, the Bible says. But what he meant for good, meaning Satan, Jesus turned it into eternal life if you only have been adopted into the body of Christ. Jesus knows who you are and where you are at all times. Nothing takes him by surprise. My listeners, we see that there was a plot from the Jewish authorities that was aided by the plan by Judas Iscariot. Now we're coming to the most important thing of this message in order to have a proper perspective of Jesus, we must understand His passion. So now we're going to look at the passion of Christ. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 32 through 36, we will find His passion. But let me let me help you out with the word passion, because I think we use it a little differently in today's uh, uh, literature, or uh, sorry, not today's literature, but today's language. Passion simply comes from the word of the Latin word petai, which means to endure, to undergo, to experience suffering. Jesus suffered within himself emotionally, showing he was human. OK, you might say, how can Jesus suffer emotionally? Well, let's look at it. Look at verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I pray. So after the the last supper, instead of Jesus taking all 11 disciples, which was left, you know, it was 12 disciples, but one left Judas. So it was 11 remaining and he left with three of them, which I like to call the inner church. He left with Peter, James, and John, and they went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, Jesus went there to pray. That's a lesson for all of us because even Jesus had to separate himself sometime to go pray, seclude himself sometime to go pray to the Father. It's good to have prayer sessions with your friends and your family and your spouses and corporate worship, but but oftentimes it's good to just get away in order to pray. Look at what verse 33 says. And he taketh with him, Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Okay? Verse 34, And said unto them, this is Jesus talking to Peter, James, and John, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, sorrowful, I should say, unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch. To me, that sounds like he's suffering emotionally. Look at the words that's used. He was sore amazed, he was very heavy, he was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Jesus is suffering emotionally. Verse 35 And he went forward a little. And fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, get this, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thy will. Jesus was suffering emotionally. He left the disciples to watch for him and he went out. He went a little further, fell down on the ground and prayed and said, if this hour will pass from me, what hour is he talking about? Because he knew that his death was approaching. He said, Abba, father. Abba is just a term of endearment. Just like I used to call my dad daddy. Many people, many children call their dad papa, whatever. It was just a term of endearment, recognizing who, who, uh, uh, recognizing his father. And then said, Look, I know you got everything under your hand because all things are possible. You can remove this, but get this. And this is a lesson we all can learn. Nevertheless, not my will, but, but thy will be done. We, we we hear that statement in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? Or what I like to say, the Disciples Prayer. Look, my podcast listeners, we all are suffering one way or the other right now. With this COVID-19, uh, people are losing jobs, they're not getting paid, they're waiting on unemployment. Uh, some individuals have gotten sick, some families have lost loved ones, and they died alone. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus knows right where you are. His Father, God, knows right where you are. And sometimes we just need to pray instead of being removed from situations that, Lord, I I don't want to go through this suffering. I don't want to go through this. but, But nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. Because oftentimes, We think things are just a little concentrated area in our lives and how that concentrated area makes us feel. But there always is a bigger picture from God. So Jesus didn't particularly want to go through this. So he not only suffered emotionally, but Jesus also suffered physically. Afterwards, the pot of the religious leaders with the aid in the plan to betray him by Judas, it approaches. He was captured. The Bible records that it was twice that Jesus came out and found his disciples sleep. And he's like, look, I I asked you to tarry with me for a while. Can't you just watch for me? I'm going to go back and pray again. And then when he came out the third time, the disciples had fell asleep again. He He told them to sleep on. And I learned from this that everybody's passion is not going to be your passion. What's important to you? What what makes your heart hurt and heavy? And when it comes to your relationship with God, it may not be important to other people. I've learned that as a pastor and, and, and other leaders of churches can tell you that even in your own family, your spouse and your children, your passion might be totally different. And you try to project that passion onto them. You try to share it with them. You try to get them on board with you and, and be with you. And it seems like they have no interest at all everybody's passion is not going to be your passion. And Jesus understood that. And when he came out, he told him to sleep on. And then at that time, here come Judas, followed by a legion of soldiers, which simply means over a thousand men coming to capture one man. That makes no sense to me. And they asked, where is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He said, I am he. And the Bible says that they all fell backwards. That amazed me. Because here I am, a strong Roman soldier Legs strong And as soon as I hear a man say I am he My my, my, my knees buckle and I fall backwards That's what's recorded And if it was me, it seemed like I would have been like I'm not messing with this man But you know what, that just shows you what evil does When a person can be so evil He gets a, a self-centered and prideful and he and, 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 he, and he feels that he's not gonna let allow he's not gonna allow anything to overcome him. So when they gathered together, they captured Jesus. And they marched him to six different trials. Listen, it was illegal to have the trials at night. But I'm telling you. In order to get rid of somebody and try to do it in a way that don't make you look bad, you will stoop to anything. Went to trial by trial. Now it's early in the morning. The Jewish religious leaders and a disorderly crowd of spectators pressured Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman official who gave the final order for the crucifixion. According to the Gospels, he actually believed that Jesus was innocent. Jesus went back and forth to trials at night and they made fun of them. They smacked him. They spit on him. They said, you a king. or you a king? They ripped his clothes off his body, standing there naked, snatched the beard out of his face. Then they threw a robe on him, pressed a crown of thorns on his head, making fun of him. And when they took him to Pilate, the Bible said even his wife had dreams. His wife basically is like, sweetheart, you need to leave this man alone. Pilate found no fault in him. But he was under the pressure of the people. He wanted to please the people. And sometimes being in leadership will make you so prideful you will continue to do the wrong thing so you won't look bad. The Bible says that He ordered Jesus to be scourged with hopes that this would calm the bloodthirsty crowd before the final verdict of murder was given. Now, the word scourge, scourge just simply means a beating. Okay, oh, there was a law that you could not scourge or give lashes to a, uh, a prisoner. You couldn't give over 40. So they did what was called 39 save one. They were careful just to scourge 39 times before they make a mistake and go over 40 or 41 or 42 because they get so into it. The law says you can now be turned and laid on uh, the beating block or the whipping block, I should say, tied to the whipping block, and you can be scourged. So scourging, it was a 39 save one, a fourth in the front of the body, three fourths on the back. So now they begin to give Jesus lashes. And at the end of the cat rope was a cat whip, I should say, were sharp objects, metal objects like razors. And every time they would come down on flesh, flesh would be ripped out. Could you imagine that horrific sight? But even worse, could you even imagine the feeling? Well, every time you were hit, just getting hit with a belt alone. The sting. But can you imagine the sting mixed with pain? Ripping out flesh, exposing veins. Most men could not even. Last from a scourging. So now. Jesus has been scourged. Pilate still didn't find any fault in him. But it didn't satisfy the crowd. He was under the pressure of the people. I have an old saying that says. You ought to go with your first mind, Pilate. Because his final act. Was to wash his hands in a basin of water. To symbolize washing his hands from the blood of Jesus. As well as the situation. Yeah, that wasn't good enough. Somebody should have shared with Pilate that that same blood that he indicated washing uh, from his hands is the same blood that could have saved his very soul. He was under the pressure of the people. Now, a bloody mess. Jesus was ordered to carry the crossbar. I know television showed you that he carried a whole cross, but really at that time, the prisoners carried the cross bar to be nailed uh, to um, uh, the cross on Calvary, uh, or the pole, I should say. So Jesus carrying it down the road uh, of Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem. Uh, the soldiers tried to clear the narrow street because the crowd pressured and pressed their way to see the man condemned to die so Jesus didn't only suffer emotionally he not only suffered physically but he suffered until death Jesus probably in shock and losing a lot of blood collapsed uh, on the way to Calvary the hill called Gogatha. Or the heel of the skull, I should say, because it symbolized it looked like a skull. And a man named Simon of Cyrene aided Jesus and 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 carried it and helped Jesus along the way till they got to Gagathus Hill. And he was nailed on the cross. Now, the Romans was very crafty. They was. They was very ruthless as well because they thought they had pride in crucifixion. As a matter of fact, the same was there because there was a the world power and everybody wanted to see Rome and get to Rome. All roads lead to Rome, according to history. And oftentimes when people came into Rome, there was a severe stitch because they had crosses on each side of the roads with people crucified on them. They wanted to send a message that if you cross us, then you will find yourself on one of these crosses. So they they perfected what they thought was uh, of, of crucifixion. They wasn't the first ones that came up with it because the Assyrians came up with it. But they did it in such a way, and I will not go in gross details. They did it in such a way death was instant. But dying on the Roman cross sometime could take up to two days. So, they nailed big nails, spikes, in the hands strategically, missing bones. They didn't want to break any bones. They nailed hands. They nailed hands. They nailed feet, and then they dropped you in the ground, stood you up, and dropped you in the ground where just your body weight is holding you up. There was a a a a a um. A place at the foot of the cross where the, the prisoners, those that are crucified, can push up on it. It was called the seat. Because the way that you died on the cross, if you didn't die from shock and the pain at first, you would die from suffocation because they would stretch your arms so far, sometimes they will pop out of socket. And it will cut off your breathing. So oftentimes you will see individuals that were crucified, they will push up, they will try try to push up on that seat of the cross (sighs) just to get a breath. So he was there for over six hours. Very glim day, A very dark day in history. The Bible says that Jesus died. Now, don't get it wrong. The Roman soldiers really didn't kill Jesus because Jesus says, no man can kill me. I lay down my life and pick it back up when I want to. So, yeah, Jesus did die, but it wasn't at the hands of the Roman soldiers. He decided to die in place of us. Ain't that beautiful? So Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross uh, late that Friday and the Bible said it got so dark. It got so dark and you had you had history writers at that time um, that lived at that time. There wasn't Christians, so they didn't take the Christian point of view. I know what some people say, but you had you had people writing in history saying it just got completely dark. You couldn't even see your hand. And there was an earthquake. The Bible records there was a Roman soldier there that was assigned to make sure everything happened. And, and, and there were Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross. They was shooting what was called lots of game to see who would get part of Jesus garments just to say, hey, I got this, that Messiah that, that we killed. But you had a Roman soldier after he seen all this, he said, surely. He didn't say this must have been. He said, surely this was a son of God. I often wonder what happened to him, did he give his life To Christ after this happened So the Bible declares that um, After Jesus died He was taken down Because Passover was coming It's about uh, a day or so before Passover And they didn't want the bodies hanging there And um, His body was taken down and placed In a tomb In a borrowed tomb And that body stayed there for three days and three nights. But Sunday we just celebrated. What many call Easter, and I stopped calling it Easter years ago, because Easter is a pagan word and it's only found in the Bible once. uh, And it does happen around Uh, Passover time but I like to call it Resurrection Day because that's what I commemorate That's what I celebrate That my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Got up from the dead He rose from the dead He conquered death He died but he rose on the third day For my sins as well as your sins That's a beautiful thing I can do it on my own Because I am full of sin All through the Gospels we see Jesus Called to repentance And To forgive the worst of sinners. And no one is too sinful to come to him. In fact, he goes after those who are lost. In Romans 6 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The eventual death of Jesus paid the salary of sin. You don't have to worry about Jesus dying anymore. It's a one time thing. In the Old Testament, animals had to be sacrificed for man's sin. And you had to constantly do that all the time, all the time, all the time. It was a constant thing. But when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law. So we wouldn't have to worry about the law but put our trust in him and it's Jesus who died and shed his blood and he only had to do it one time and it's good enough to cover the sins of the world a ransom is something that is paid to provide for the release of someone who is held captive we was held captive in sin we were held in bondage by Satan's grip but Jesus paid our ransom to free us from sin Death and hell. Throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are found God's requirements for sacrifices. In the Old Testament times, God commanded the Israelites to make animal sacrifices for substitutionary atonement. That is, an animal's death took place of a person's death again. Jesus paid it all. And I like that word atonement. Listen to how it's spelled. A T. O-N-E-M-E-N-T. At one mint. When Adam and Eve was created, they were at one with God. Adam walked every evening with God. But because of sin, we were separated by God. And the only way that we can become or at one meant with God again is through the death and recognizing the death of Jesus Christ and putting our trust in him. His atoning death. Clearly, Jesus paid the ransom for our lives to God. That ransom was his own life, the shedding of his own blood, a sacrifice due to his sacrificial death. Each person on earth has the opportunity to accept that gift of atonement and be forgiven by God there is no excuses I don't care how good you are if you never cheated on your wife you never cheated on your husband you love your children you you do everything good and right but if you die and you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ you are heading for hell you will spend eternity apart from him Jesus gave you the opportunity he gave me the opportunity to put our trust in him so we can be at one with God again because we all need a savior because we are all sinners for without his death God's law will still need to be satisfied by our own death and our death would not have been enough this my friends is the proper perspective of Jesus He's not here to give us what we want, but he's here to give us what we need. And that's life eternal with him. Thank you for listening to Redeem Ministries podcast. Redeemed Ministries podcast is brought to you by the Redeemed Ministries Bible Church in Kansas City, Missouri, 3601 Indiana Avenue. You can reach us at area code 816 301-4008 or you can email Pastor A.L. Fletcher at yahoo.com. Again, text or call 816 816- or email pastoralfletcher at yahoo.com please consider a donation that will help this podcast continue to give you the truth from God's word you can go online at our website just type in Redeemed Ministries Bible Church and hit the donation key and we will appreciate if you consider a gift God bless you and God keep you